Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartson. Today, we have a very special edition of our 10 Questions Podcast, as we do every week. Bring on a special guest, get some new views on here, find out where Ian's been right, find out where Ian's been wrong. You know, just it is what it is. And I am happy to be joined by software engineer and senior fantasy analyst at PFF. If you are not following at PFF underscore Nate Yonke on Twitter, you are missing out on probably the most actionable, informative in-game tweets you will find the entire fantasy industry people none other than nathan yonke nate how's it going man it's going well thanks for the introduction how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing great man hey i'm not just blowing smoke up your ass nate like i i see you grinding it's been preseason thursday night sunday night monday night you have actionable fantasy takeaways done at all hours of the day i'm not sure how your family feels about all this but i just know as a fellow pff fantasy team member we certainly appreciate it so i have a very you know special agenda on tap for us to discuss today basically what i wanted to do with five weeks in the books it's it's not perfect it's still a small sample size but we're starting to get an idea of what defenses are for real against certain positions which one's not so much so basically i took each defense's fantasy points allowed to each position average it out over the next five weeks in the schedule to try to get an idea of some potential buy lows or sell highs based on who they're facing off against now again this is only five weeks and just using strength to schedule in general isn't always the perfect method we want to pay more attention to volume but that's why i brought on nathan to help talk through some the bigger takeaways from it so Nate we're going to start off with quarterback and looking at the top three schedules for quarterbacks here in week six through ten we got the Saints the Broncos and the Bears now I think uh, you know Justin Fields theoretically capable of big things we need to see that volume come at least Jameis and Teddy have supplied some streamer value thus far out of these three quarterbacks Jameis Teddy and Fields which one would you feel most confident in having on your fantasy team for the next month I think Jameis is someone that you want if you can plug him into the right matchups if you have someone good to complement him. Um, he's been very good so far this season with the opportunities he's been given. A 0.71 fantasy points per dropback, which ranks second among quarterbacks. The Saints have just been running way too much for him to be consistently playing well, which is why we've seen so many ups and downs this year. He was very consistently seeing 20, 21, 22 dropbacks per game, which isn't great. So I think in some of the matchups where the Saints could be down, then they'll be passing a lot more, especially they've got uh, coming up soon that revenge game against the Buccaneers where I would expect Winston to be throwing a ton in that game and having plenty of reason to want to throw. <laughs> so I think he's someone that if you have a good quarterback and just want to play the matchups, he's great. And then Teddy Bridgewater, he has a very safe floor. I think he's just an average fantasy quarterback, has good enough players around him, good enough opportunities that if you're worried about an injury or just need someone to fill in for a bye week, he's safe there. And then, as you said, with Fields, ideally he gets some rushing attempts sometime or show some of the accuracy we saw in college. So I believe he'll get there eventually. He's just not there yet. So hold on to him if you have a roster spot to hold on to him, but don't put him in your starting lineup in the next few weeks. I was writing my uh, wide receiver cornerback piece looking at Allen Robinson. And I just wanted to get an idea of like how dismal Fields dropbacks have been over the past three weeks. And he's 31st in dropbacks. I believe he's at like 71 over the past three weeks. 
Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance are both within like 15 dropbacks of fields. Like he is almost outside the top 32 quarterbacks in dropbacks over the past three weeks. It's so brutal. I really like the point on Jameis though, because yeah, the problem hasn't been Jameis. He's actually been pretty damn good. And like, I think one of the sexier stats is in the red zone this year. If you just look at what he's been able to do there, 13 of 15, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like I wonder if like Sean Payton, very smart guy, we all realize this, has just been purposely bringing things along slowly for him. Because you look at the pass attempts, last week was the first time he cleared even 25 passes. And he has made the most out of, let's face it, not a very good group of wide receivers. Like again, Nate, we're only looking at a five-game sample size, even if we're not going to see that, you know, fearless DGAF YOLO ball gunslinger that we had in the past. Hey, Taysom Hill is in the concussion protocol right now. There's a chance after this bye that we see Jameis have a longer leash and be afforded more opportunities than I think we've seen so far. Sure, and especially like if they start passing to Kamara more rather than just handing the ball off to him, that's yeah. just free fantasy points waiting for Winston to get. 100%. Quit handing it. Just do that little six-inch pop pass where Jimmy G gets all of uh, his yards from, right? Okay, so on the other side of things, we got Dak Prescott and Baker Mayfield standing out as signal callers with the really toughest upcoming matchups here over the next month. Baker, you know, he, he's a fine upside QB too some weeks, but I know he's not really someone a lot of people are expecting all that much from anyway. Dak, on the other hand, is someone that has still been providing QB1 value more weeks than not. But man, you look a little bit closer at the passing volume. All of a sudden, the assumptions we had about this Cowboys team going to the year namely that the defense was still going to suck and they were going to throw the hell out of the ball. We aren't seeing that as much. So Dak, even though he's been balling, Nathan, could you see him settling in as more of this low-end QB1 as opposed to the top five quarterback? Or do you think that it's Dak Prescott, it's the Cowboys offense, they're going to be just fine? Yeah, I think it'll be very matchup dependent. I think like looking at his upcoming schedule, yeah, he has some tough opponents, but I'm much more worried about the volume, like you were saying, than the actual defenses he's facing. I think in the games where the Cowboys are expected to win and expected to win a lot, then they're perfectly happy to hand the ball off to Elliott and Pollard over and over and over, and they don't need to pass where if it's a more competitive game, if they're down, then I think Prescott, even if the defense he's facing, has a good coverage, has a good pass rush. I think he can overcome those. So I think he's a low-end quarterback one in the matchups where he might not be passing a lot, but efficiency will get him to the value you need versus when he's down, I think he has the potential to have some of the best quarterback weeks of the season. Yeah, it really is more matchup dependent this year. Like someone with Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, we just don't really care about the matchups because they're going to get so much yards on the ground. It just doesn't matter. With Dak, though, just 12 rushing yards per game this year. And most of that is really just from week four when he busted off for 35. He hasn't even cleared 15 yards in these other four games. So it has been interesting to see. He's almost like more of a... Derek Carr as quarterback right now. I get that Carr hasn't played very well over the past two weeks. So Dak is certainly better than that. But man, last year, first four games, 39 pass attempts, 47, 57, 58. Then week one comes along. We have 58 against the Buccaneers. But since then, 27, 26, 22, and 32. Uh, Quickly, I know we're talking about Dak here, Nathan, but like, when are we going to see CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper like get these targets again? Because right now, like, I refuse to believe Dalton Schultz is just from now on the feature guy in Dallas. Come on. I think it'll definitely be coming looking at some of the opponents and how good they are versus tight ends versus how good they are versus wide receivers. 
I think he'll definitely, uh, defenses as well, will start adjusting and have to worry about the tight end more than they have in the past, where recently it's likely been, okay, we have to shut down the wide receivers, and oh no, here's this tight end doing all this <laughs> stuff against us that we didn't think we'd have to worry about. So now they know they have to worry about everyone. And, you know, spoiler alert for our tight end section, we've now crossed off uh, one of those questions because the Browns, Cowboys, and Panthers do stand out as having the toughest tight end outlook over the course of the next five weeks. Let's switch on over to running backs here because the smoothest sailing schedule upcoming is for the Ravens. But my goodness, Nate, like when this all happened, when Dobbins, when Gus, when Justice Hill all went down before the season started, my thought was, all right, they brought in Latavius, Freeman, Le'Veon. We have Tyson Williams. Hopefully they just use this next month to figure out who's going to be the best. And then we have some clarity moving forward. Here we are going to week six, and I don't feel any better about this situation because as much as Latavius has kind of established himself as a starter, if you look at any rushing metric, he's ranking amongst the worst running backs in the league. Despite having this good schedule, do you want anything to do with these guys right now, Nathan? Um, I'd be fine putting Murray on your roster and plugging him in if you have a bi-week problem, but I think he has established himself as the number one guy, but we've always known the Ravens will have at least two guys. Unfortunately, right now it's three plus one on the practice squad. Um, but the last two weeks since he's been named the starter, uh, they have faced two of the most difficult defenses for fantasy running backs. So that's definitely been working against him versus the schedule going forward will be a lot easier. So like, I think he'll always have that ceiling just because he's, there's so many running backs that'll get touches. Plus Lamar Jackson will get plenty of carries himself. So the ceiling's definitely there that'll prevent him from being someone you want to consistently start. But he'll get enough carries in plenty of weeks that if you have a bye week problem, if you have too many guys who are injured, um, he's someone to have on the roster since he's an insurance policy there. It is interesting that in the past, you know, with Mark Ingram, with Dobbins and these guys, we always knew they weren't going to get a lot of the targets, but the assumption was always it's the Ravens, most run-heavy offense in the league each of the past three years. I think some of it has had to do with game script and a five-week sample, but right now the Ravens, they're still a run-first offense, but you look at them, they've thrown the ball more than the Cowboys, more than the Cardinals, more than the Bengals this season. Like, at a minimum, Latavius, while I agree with you, I do think he's a recommended guy. Got to more so treat him as this, you know, borderline RB2, touchdown dependent RB3 at the most. Like the days of firing him up as a hopeful top 20 option certainly seem to be over. Uh, yeah, unless he starts playing a lot better and this becomes yeah. a two-man backfield versus a three-man backfield once one of these guys stops seeing as many, as much playing time. But right now they're just road-hitting guys in and out every couple of plays and that's just no one can get enough rhythm there. As we often say on this podcast, we can live with two RB backfield. There's only a few workhorses left these days. Once we get to three or four like this, that's where it gets extra problematic. So in Buffalo, we do have two running backs. The only problem is we got Josh Allen, who is ninth in rushing touchdowns since he entered the league. And this year, only Aaron Rodgers has checked the ball down on a lower percentage of his dropbacks. So as much as the Bills' top-ranked scoring offense in the league, as much as you would think that they're this like super fantasy-friendly offense for everyone, it just hasn't been that way for the running backs. With that said, the Bills have a Week 7 bye, but after that, we get three straight matchups against bottom eight defenses against running backs. Zach Moss does seem to be pulling away from Devin Singletary a little bit. Are you buying Moss like maybe working as more of a consistent RB2 down the stretch, or do you think he's just kind of gotten lucky with some of the touchdowns he's been able to rack up over the past few weeks? 
I've definitely been starting to warm up to the idea of Moss being a fantasy starter. And I think that's just because of how much the Bills have been blowing out each of their opponents. Um, if you look at like how much teams run the ball when they're losing or losing by a little bit or winning by a little bit, each way you break it down, the Bills are one of the most pass heavy teams in the league, but they also have a three score lead more than any other teams had a three score lead. And if you look at their schedule, they'll probably have plenty of two or three score leads a lot of the time in some of these games. So the Bills in that situation, no matter how much you know you want to throw to win, you're still running the ball there to run out the clock. And Moss definitely this past game pulled away in terms of how much they were using each of the running backs. Uh, he's been grading better, so I think that's a situation that it'll continue to be Moss as more of the main guy in Buffalo. So as long as the Bills are winning, as long as they're staying healthy and um, are able to get these leads in these big games and um, like each of their opponents upcoming in basically for the rest of the season, they don't have that many difficult opponents left. So I can see you trusting Moss and him being a little bit reliant on what he gets in the third and fourth quarter, but I think that's enough to make him a starting running back probably the rest of the season. It's like a more extreme kind of version of the Cowboys where the Bills are just blowing everyone out because they also have the number one ranked scoring defense. So I know the Cowboys haven't been that good on defensive side of the ball, but it certainly changes the way we need to look at this offense just in terms of pure point differential this year. The Cowboys are plus 53. The Cardinals are the second best in the league at plus 62. Then you go all the way up to the Bills at plus 108. They are killing everybody. And that helps Zach Moss, who was a healthy scratch in week one. Someone that I was all in on being the freaking, I was dubbing him your favorite late round running backs, favorite late round running back throughout the summer. We saw this crappy preseason usage. We saw Singletary take off. Moss had the hamstring injury. But hey, Nate, we got to do what we can with new information. Zach Moss back firmly on the radar. Now we got the Browns, and this is where we're going to switch to the toughest uh, schedules for running backs over the next uh, month and change. So Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, we know they're both fantastic. But, you know, one of the things I've been trying to really look at more is fantasy points and then expected fantasy points. And you all can listen to, uh, you know, Kevin Cole's great podcast where he goes into all that detail on the PFF network every week. But basically, Chubb and Hunt are both, you know, potential regression candidates if you think that they're not going to be able to continue to make this much out of their opportunities. And then we add the tough schedule. But the, again, we also have a great Browns offense and two great running backs. So do you think Chubb and Hunt will continue to work as RB1s more weeks than not? Or should we maybe temper expectations, get used to them more as RB2s here moving forward? I think it is time to probably temper expectations. Like I th still think you're starting both of these players, but yeah. the schedule does get a bit tougher. The hardest run defense they've faced so far is the Bears, and that didn't really matter much because they won by a lot anyway. Yeah. So they were still able to run 30 plus times. So like they play the Cardinals in their next game. I don't think they're going to be able to run 30 times when they're trying to keep up with the Cardinals offense. Uh, like the Broncos have a really good defense in general, so that'll be difficult. So um, Hunt is probably safer among the backs just because after Browns need to be throwing, he's the receiving back. So there's been times where he's seen plenty of his fantasy value come from catching passes. But Nick Chubb, he's been getting over 20 carries a game these past three games. And when the Browns aren't winning by as much or having a tougher time, it'll be harder for him to run 20 times. And he hasn't been quite as efficient this year as he has other years. So facing even tougher run defenses will make it even harder for him to play well. 
Yeah, I do wonder if Baker and this offense, if we see them take a little bit of a step back. You mentioned the Bears game in week two. They played the Texans, you know, 14 to 7 win over the Vikings. And credit to them for putting up 42 against the Chargers. We also see Brandon Staley pretty much invite teams to run. Like, if there is an offense probably designed to take away, you know, what Brandon Staley is trying to do on defense, it probably is the Cleveland Browns. So, over the next five weeks, we've got the Cardinals, the Broncos, the Steelers, and then in Cincinnati in New England. England. So I think that will tell us a lot about how much of a true contender the Browns can be with a limited Baker Mayfield due to that torn labrum. We also have a couple other tough schedules. Jets and the 49ers, um, both on a bye this week, but moving forward, it's not looking super pretty. Good news, though, and as always, we do favor volume more than matchups. Elijah Mitchell and Michael Carter really pulling away in their respective depth charts from Trey Sermon and Michael Carter's case, Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman. What RB range-ish with RB1, 1 through 12, RB2, 13 to 24, et cetera, et cetera. Do you anticipate these rookies more or less landing in your ranks here moving forward? Sure. Uh, starting with Carter, I probably have him right in between RB2, RB3, okay. probably more RB3 in the immediate future, hopefully more in the RB2 later on in the season. I think the Jets offense will get better as the season goes on. They have a ton of young players, a lot of people that are new to the team, new coaching staff. So that takes time to get everything together. Um, Carter, I think he was very talented coming into the league. Uh, the offense has started to slowly look a little bit better. And Carter has clearly pulled away as the lead rusher on the team. Um, the team wants to run the ball, but they're kind of the opposite of some of these teams we've talked about where when you break <laughs> things down by category, they're one of the more run heavy teams, but just because they've been down so much and down big so much, they look like one of the more pass heavy teams, but it's been completely game script dependent. So if the Jets can be more competitive in games, then I think the volume will be there even more for Carter. So I think that'll be a big thing for him going forward. Um, the 49ers, I'm a bit more worried about things. I think um, in the right situation, he can be an RB2 going forward. But if Trey Lance becomes the starting quarterback long term, he'll be taking some of the carries. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is eligible to come off the PUP list once Ooh. they come back from the bye week. So um, he might not be ready to go right when he's eligible to come back. But last I heard, mid-season is around when they're hoping. And looking at the last two years, he has graded better as a running back, a number of categories where Wilson has looked better. I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson at least takes half of the carries, if not more, once he's fully healthy. And I can't completely rule out Trey Sermon at some point uh, putting things together better than he has the first half of the season. So um, a lot more cases where I could see Mitchell losing carries where Carter, I think, has a very secure role the rest of the year. Yeah, as much as he... You know, as much as Mitchell did work ahead of Sermon last week, when you have your quarterback taking up 15 plus carries, that's going to limit what you can do. It would actually probably be a net positive for the offense for Jimmy G to get this job back, which might be out of necessity. We do have Trey Lance with that sprained knee. We'll see what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. I'm done trying to predict what Kyle Shanahan is going to do. And it's a great point on Jeff Wilson, people. If you have open IR spots and are able to go get him on the roster, I mean, don't break your back to do so, but he would certainly be a nice stash. 
with the potential to leap out. I uh, was looking at some of my underdog best ball exposures uh, yesterday and had so much uh, Jeff Wilson back in March and April before we knew uh, what was going on there. So shed a slight tear there, but we will uh, watch the film and get better as always. Let's talk wide receiver. We already talked about Jameis having a nice upcoming schedule. As you might put together, the Saints wide receivers also have a great stretch here coming up. We aren't really sure when Michael Thomas is going to be back. For the sake of argument, let's say he's not really in the picture right now. We got Deontay Harris, who is always there for a 60-plus yard touchdown potentially. He's now dealing with a hamstring injury, though. Marquez Calloway, he had a two-touchdown performance last time we saw him. It was I hate using the word fluky. He scored the touchdowns. They counted, but it was a Hail Mary and just a completely uncovered corner. We shouldn't expect those occurrences to happen each and every week. With that said, man, if we think James is throwing the ball more, if the schedule is getting softer, and if there's now even less competition than ever, is it time to really get back on the Marquez Callaway train as hard as we were in August? Um, I'm hesitant to do so. I think, yeah. like you said, we don't know when Michael Thomas is coming back, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, Traquan Smith, I'm a little more confident, will be back once the Saints are playing Ooh. again. Um, he hasn't never graded that well as a wide receiver, but plenty of the times last year when he was healthy, he was seeing six to seven targets a game, getting four or five catches from that. So while he's not the best receiver, it seems like the Saints like him a bit. Uh, typically gets 80 plus percent of playing time there. So I could very well see him taking away at least some of the snaps and targets away from Callaway. Um, Callaway definitely will remain a deep threat, will continue to make some big plays a game, but I think they'll be a little less predictable of when they happen. Um, he hasn't been consistent at all this season, uh, hasn't reached five catches in a game, I don't think so. Um, while I think he'll definitely still have some value at some point, um, probably good for a DFS play, hoping that he makes a big play or two. But um, in redraft, I have a hard time starting him because he could very well just have one or two shorter <laughs> catches and not much more. Boomer bust, wide receiver four at best. It's a great point on Traquan Smith. That was escaping my memory. I just looked it up. And on the sideline last Sunday, he told the camera he will be back in two weeks. So, you know, I wouldn't really, like, I wouldn't say Traquan Smith is someone people need to actively go after. More so, it just muddles it up for Callaway and everyone else. Now, three toughest passing games are all three ones that have been having a lot of success early on. The Cardinals, the Bengals, and the Chargers. Out of those three, who could you see having the most struggles as a passing game moving forward in these tough stretches? Um, I think Cincinnati out of those three teams, I think um, when you compare the schedule they've had so far compared to their schedule upcoming as well as the rest of the season, um, that looks like the biggest extreme of the two. Cincinnati's had it fairly easy off so far this season. The Packers probably the toughest challenge, but uh, with Jair Alexander's injury, that yeah. wasn't nearly as hard as it could have been. So, um, and also the three quarterbacks that those teams have, Joe Burrow's definitely taking a step up this year. I've played a lot better than last year, but hasn't played as well as the other two quarterbacks that we're talking about here. Where the Chargers, they've had plenty of difficult opponents already and just have more difficult opponents upcoming. So we'll see more of the same of them, of them having to overcome challenges and hopefully being able to do it. So I think Cincinnati is probably the one I'm most worried about. Plus you have the three wide receivers that you're distributing targets to T Higgins missed some time there. So that made it a little bit easier for the other wide receivers to get a higher target share. So um, them having three wide receivers also makes it a little bit more difficult than what we're seeing in Los Angeles. Is there a way where 
I don't want to say facing tougher defenses is going to help the Cardinals by any stretch, but almost just finally facing some tougher competition, maybe, because the only issue in Arizona right now for Hopkins and a lot of these other guys, they're just not getting high enough consistent volume because Kyler, the most pass attempts he's had in the game is 36. He hit that mark or exceeded it in eight of 16 games last year. So with Hopkins, like, I'm not sure where you have him ranked this week. I have finally said, okay, I get it. We're not getting these double-digit target games. Bumped him down to more of a low-end wide receiver one. Do you think that here in the second half of the year, we will see Hopkins start to pull away from this group and get back to being that alpha target hog? Or is this just a new Arizona Cardinals offense we're looking at? I think he will start doing better going forward. I know he's had injury issues a little bit and has played through them. So ideally he gets healthier as the season goes on. And I think that'll definitely help him see a higher target share. Um, I am, it's interesting because they have four wide receivers that could do well. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see how the offense adjusts without Max Williams. Yeah. They're already the heaviest four wide receiver usage team in the league by a lot. Um, over 20% of the time they've used four wide receivers. And we could see that even more without Max Williams. And then we saw a more start to see um, extended time in three wide receiver sets over Christian Kirk, even though Kirk has outplayed AJ Green so far this season. So like, ideally it's Green as the one who starts seeing less playing time rather than Kirk, who um, has had a career year so far this year. But it'll be interesting to see how they get their receivers involved since for the most part, everyone's playing roughly how you would expect or better than you would expect at wide receivers. So there's just lots of mouths to feed in the Arizona offense. I still remember the quote. They drafted Rondale Moore and they asked Cliff, they asked Cliff about it and he said, love the player and he goes look we got Hopkins and we got AJ then we got Christian Kirk and some other guys and I think Rondale fits right into that group and it was like hold on man how the hell did AJ Green like get this preferential treatment like the Kingsbury and AJ Green share a single conversation before the year 2021 I have no idea so I am with you though I think we see a lot more four wide receiver sets because yeah they're the most heavily used team doing it already but like you said we're still only in the 20% range so I think Cliff, at this point, I mean, we all see how good Rondale is at making pretty much anything happen, regardless of where you put him on the football field. Here's the hoping that he's playing all these snaps instead of, you know, who's there? Demetrius uh, Harris and Darnell Daniels, I think, uh, are the guys we got there right now. So great point there. Just, you know, at running back, I think it's a lot easier to look at the backup and not always do they take the exact roles of starter, but wide receiver tight ends where it's really difficult to assume that's just going to be the same thing with new personnel. Final note, tight ends. Again, we already talked about Dalton Schultz. Probably a good time to uh, consider selling high, people. Easy on the easy side of things, though. We got the Vikings, the Patriots, and the Dolphins standing out. We got Tyler Conklin. Hunter Henry, not Jonu Smith anymore. The dude ran six total routes last week. I, I don't get it. And Mike and Mike Jasicki, who, hey, he plays wide receiver. He's played 13 inline snaps this year. Uh, Taysom Hill has 27. But Fantasyland, we're still calling Mike Jasicki a uh, tight end. We're still going along with the bit. Out of these three, Conklin, Henry, and Jasicki, who would you want on your squad moving forward? Um, I would probably go with Henry, like you were second, 
saying with Mike Gusecki. Um, he is very game script dependent in that, like, if the team's winning, if they're doing two tight end sets, he's not on the field. So the fact that the Dolphins, yeah, they have a good tight end schedule, but they have a good schedule in general where they should be pretty competitive in these games, that means he's not going to be on the field as much, and that'll mean fewer targets. So it'll be harder for him to consistently do well if he's not playing as much. So um, Henry, I think he's been playing the best out of the group. Um, I think you can trust him basically regardless of the matchup. Uh, Conklin, someone you said that um, I think all three of these guys, particularly this week where we have some tight ends either injured or on bye weeks, all three of them are people you could get on the waiver wire, put in your lineup this week and be fine. But I think Conklin just hasn't played quite as well as Henry. Um, Trust him as well just because he's always on the field. We'll see some targets each game, and he's not as experienced as his starter. So wouldn't be surprised if he starts playing better as the season goes on. But I think Henry's playing the best of the group, seeing plenty of targets. So he's the one I trust the most out of the three. And I think Henry at this point is probably just the best receiver, tight end receiver, whatever you want to call him, for Mac Jones. Because it has been a struggle with him throwing the ball downfield, man. Only 4 of 19 on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. And all the receivers, even Jacoby Myers, has an average target depth over 9 yards. We got Henry down at 8.7. Man, like, if you're not going to let Johnny Smith run routes, can we at least get a couple, like, carries for the guy? Like, my goodness, man. They gave him like a jet sweep on the first drive of the season, I think. And I'm checking right now, but I don't think they've handed the ball to him again. Like you, okay. They did give him one more carry last week. Thank you. Finally. But you paid the guy $50 million. Like, what are you doing? I'm sure John is a fine enough blocker, but I don't know, Nathan, if I was out there in Madden and I devoted that sort of capital to my tight end, I think I'd throw him the ball a little bit more often. Most expensive run blocking tight end in football. (laughs) Oh, my God. You are 100% right. Well, Nathan, everyone can find your work on PFF.com. On Mondays, you give. You're always fantastic. I always see it popping in our most read articles uh, uh, stuff. Five to waiver wire ad, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high. Again, you also provide immediate takeaways after all the games, and you have your rankings that, you know, I, I think I saw last week you're once again uh, messing around the top 10 trying to get that crown. Last year, I believe you finished second. So just a freaking superstar all the way around we've had on the podcast today, ladies and gentlemen. Nathan, anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, no, I think you pretty well covered it. Uh, all the articles that you mentioned are probably the best ones to read out of mine. And of course you've been doing great work so far this year as well. So definitely I'm sure all of your listeners are reading your articles as well, but I will plug them anyway. (laughs) Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And Hey people, if you want to go check these out again, we do put them behind a paywall. Our company needs to try to make money so we can go buy dog treats and stuff like that, but you can get 25% off any PFF subscription. If you use code fantasy, if Nathan's helped you, if I've helped you, if Dwayne, Andrew, Kevin, the rest of the fantasy team has helped you, the easiest way that you can repay us or just say thank you is to get a PFF sub. So Wick code fantasy. You get all of PFF's locked article content, weekly player rankings, strength of schedule, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards. We got a prop tool. We have everything. And I'm confident that if you spend even a half hour using this stuff per week, you're going to get your money back in no time. So again, code fantasy for 25% off any PFF subscription. And yeah, I mean, this is going to cost you less than one of those dumb preview magazines that are outdated by the time, you know, it's late August anyway. So, you know, we try to answer a lot of start sick questions, but guess what? We also pour our heart and soul into the rankings, which will answer your start sick questions if you just want to use code FANTASY and get that 25% off. So again, thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. For Nathan, I'm Ian. 
And until next time, take care, everybody.